You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord in Psalm 29. And Psalm 29 is a song of praise to God that fits really nicely coming after Psalm 28. Because in Psalm 28 verse 7, the psalm before this, David says, My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to the Lord. And well, Psalm 29 is that song mentioned there in Psalm 28, verse 7. And in this song of Psalm 29, there are three parts. First, in verses 1 to 2, there is the command to praise. Second, in verses 3 to 9, there's the content of praise. And then third, in verses 10 and 11, there is the call for blessing. So those are the the three things we're going to look at. The the command to praise, the content of praise, and the call for blessing. Okay, we're going to spend time uh, on each one of these. But before we get started, what I want to do here, I want to highlight now this psalm's expectation for us as its readers, okay? Anytime we encounter a text, especially a a biblical text, that text is making a request of us. There is something that the text wants for us. And when it comes to the text of Psalm 29, this, this psalm doesn't just want our reading, but this psalm wants our actual involvement. Like, like the words of this psalm press us with an obligation to sing along with convictional agreement. That's what this psalm is asking of us. So it's not, it's not just enough that we read this psalm. We're supposed to join in with the praise of this psalm. And the reason that I want to say that here right now at the very start is, is, is because as we're working through these verses of Psalm 29, Um, I I want you to understand yourself um, 
not as a spectator and not even as an, as an audience or a hearer, but I, I want you to understand yourself as a summoned participant. You are a summoned participant when it comes to Psalm 29. You have a part when it comes to this psalm. And so let's pray for a minute and let's ask God for help. Father, we ask in this moment that you would please send your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would direct us to receive what you want for us in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying that with me. All right, now we're going to look first at verses 1 and 2, the command to praise. Now, the very first thing we see in, in Psalm 29 is this verb, ascribe, which is a command here that gets repeated three times in these first two verses. These literally, ascribe here, is literally a command, three times a command to praise God. And that's, it's not uncommon for us to see that kind of command in the book of Psalms. We see it all over in the book of Psalms. But what makes this especially interesting in Psalm 29 is that this command is directed to heavenly beings. Now, I think in Psalm 29, there's a, a human congregation is implied here. We should imagine that David um, is the spokesperson for the whole church gathered together in worship. But he begins here by addressing these heavenly beings. In most translations, they say heavenly beings, but uh, the, the literal phrase here, and you may see a little note in your Bible, the literal phrase is sons of God, the sons of God. That's one of the ways that the Old Testament describes angels. These are supernatural creatures in the heavenly realm. And that's who David's talking to here. David commands these supernatural creatures to praise Yahweh. And that, that might sound a little strange to us, but it's actually not strange in the Bible. And, and so just in case we need a little brush up on our angelology. Um, I, I, uh, maybe I said that wrong. It's angelology, however you say it. Angelology. 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 Um, let me just remind you about angels. Angels exist, okay? Um, there is an unseen spiritual realm inhabited by angels, both holy angels and fallen angels. Holy angels occupy the heavenly places in the presence of God, and they are deployed for work in this world, often as messengers. We see that most often in the Bible. Angels are sent as messengers of God. Angels are, are both similar and distinct from humans. They're similar um, to humans in that both humans and angels are, are creatures. God created us both, humans and angels. But angels are distinct from humans in that angels have greater powers than us, but we have greater privileges than angels. And we see Paul talking about this in 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says that we, the church, saints, we, we the saints, will judge angels. And then the apostle Peter, in, in 1 Peter 
chapter one, he describes the wonder of the gospel. And he says that the gospel, this, this, the, the, the events of the gospel, the church and our reception of the gospel, this is something into which angels long to look. That's 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12. The idea there is that Angels have taken an interest in the story of God's redemption and they're like basically sitting on the edge of their seats watching all the events of God's redemption unfold. They want to see God's salvation at work at this world, uh, in this world um, through the church. And that's something that's happening right now. We should imagine like right now in this exact moment, according to the Apostle Peter, there are angels who are leaning in and who are longing to observe the gospel at work. Right now, they want to know, they want to see the gospel at work. And, and when we understand that, like if, if we can really understand that and imagine that and, and picture that in our minds, then I don't think Psalms, uh, Psalm 29's opening is strange at all. In fact, I wonder if if maybe we're the strange ones because we don't do Psalm 29 verses one and two every time we gather for worship. Maybe we should, every time we gather for worship, we should, we should command angels because that's what David is doing here. He, he is going to sing a song of praise to God and his call to worship is not just for the church, it's not just for the gathered worshipers, but he is calling angels too to praise God. He is commanding angels to worship God. He's saying, hey angels, hey heavenly beings, give praise to God. He is commanding these heavenly beings, worship Yahweh, ascribe to Yahweh the glory due his name. And of course, the reason that David is doing this is because God is worthy of praise, which means he, he's worthy of all praise. Let everything that has breath, including angels, including heavenly beings, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Write it out. Recount it out, speak it out, sing it out, think it out, fill it out. Whatever you gotta do, ascribe to God the glory due his name. And do you have any idea how long that would take? <laughs> that's, why, that's why we have eternity. That's why God has made eternity, but yet we don't, we don't wait for eternity for us to praise God. We, we get in on that praise right now. And as we get in on that praise, we can, and we should tell the angels to join us. Angels, heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. That's the first thing we see here in verses one and two, the command to praise God. Secondly, we see in verses three to nine, the content of praise. This is like the occasion or the inspiration of praise. David gives the command to praise in verses one and two. And then what he does is he directs our attention to the grounds of praise. And in summary, the grounds of our praise to God is the work of God's word in this world. Okay, that's kind of a mouthful. The work of God's word in this world. That's what David is explaining in verses three to nine, and he does it with the metaphor of a thunderstorm. Now, right now, uh, we are in the middle of summer, 
and I, I love summer. I, I love the pace. I love the heat. I love the sunshine. I love the birds singing at 4.30 every morning. I, 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 I also, I, I love a good summer thunderstorm. Like I think, um, I, I'm, I'm persuaded that, that summer thunderstorms might be the most underappreciated gifts of nature. Um, especially when we, when we get these early in the morning like we had this past week. On Monday this past week, if you guys remember, um, the next time we have a thunderstorm, and they come at any moment. That's the thing that's so crazy. Any moment, you know, they come. The next time we have one, I want to encourage you, don't ignore it. Okay, stop and think about what's happening. Like the the way the thunder sounds, like sometimes, sometimes it's just it's it's just a a very low rumble when it gets louder. Sometimes it just like it just cracks. And the next time you hear it, try to stop what you're doing and receive that. Like receive the sound of the thunder, which is amazing. Think, meditate on that thunderstorm, and and remember, understand that one of the reasons that God made that thunder is so that we would have a picture to understand the work of his word in this world. That's what, that's what David is doing here. Through this metaphor of a, of a thunderstorm, he is, he is showing us the work of God's word, his voice in the world. And when it comes to the activity of God's word, the activity of God's word is the activity of God. That's an important theological insight we see in Psalm 29. And so before we get into the details, I wanna, I wanna spend a minute on this, okay? Notice the parallel between God's voice and God himself in this Psalm. Verse three, it says, the, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Then it's the Lord is over many waters. Verse five, it's the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Then it's the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 8, it's, it's the voice of the Lord that shakes the wilderness. And then it, it's the Lord who shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So, so what we see here is what is said about the voice of Yahweh is said about Yahweh because they are one and the same. The activity of God's word, his voice, it is the execution of his will. He speaks and he accomplishes he, he sends out his word and it succeeds in the thing for which it was sent. That is true about God and his word. And this has wondrous implications for Bible reading. All right, first, we should understand that, that God's word and God's voice are basically, it's like, it's like the same conceptual family. They both have to do with God's speech, okay? But, but we tend to, in our thinking, we, we think of a voice as more dynamic than words. Sometimes our idea of words can be a little stale and a little bit boring, although we should know that that's, that's never the case when it comes to God's word, okay? We should, we, should, we should not think about the Bible that way. But if it would help you to imagine, when you open the Bible to read God's word, Imagine that you're actually leaning in to hear God's voice, okay? When we, open, when we open the Bible, when we open the Word of God, God speaks to us. And it is so much God speaking to us that, that if we disobey what the Bible says, 
we are disobeying God. Now, when you hear me say that, you probably think, sure, I believe that. Of course I believe that. But this is something we need to slow down for a minute. We need to think about this, okay? Just imagine with me for a minute. Imagine with me. Imagine tomorrow you wake up 6 o'clock in the morning. The sun is coming up. You pour yourself a cup of coffee, and you're standing in your kitchen sipping your coffee and all of a sudden the voice of God sounds forth and says in humility count others more significant than yourselves now chances are if you hear that it gets your attention it would it would get your attention and if you heard the voice of God say that to you while you're sipping your coffee you you would want to do it you would want to do what God has just said here's the thing Every time you open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that's exactly what God is saying to you. That, that is the, the voice of God speaking to you. That is the Word of God speaking to you. When, when we open the Bible, we hear the voice of God. And, and if you're a Christian and you don't read the Bible, um, I'm convinced the reason you don't read the Bible is because you just don't really know what the Bible is. Okay, I'm, I would never, I would never want to guilt you into reading the Bible. I'm not trying to do that, okay? But I'm asking you, do you want to hear from God? Do you? Do, what if I told you you could hear the voice of God? Do you want that? Do you want to hear from God? If you want to hear from God, open the Bible. Give yourselves Give, give your eyes to the Word of God, which means giving your ears to the voice of God. Okay? Now, with that said, we're going to look now at the actual power described here when it comes to God's voice. Now, the main theme of David's metaphor is this, the, the thundering sovereignty of God's voice in creation. And the first aspect of creation that's mentioned here is water, which is appropriate because 71% of the planet, of the, the, the planet's surface is water. And so if God is going to be sovereign over this planet, he has to be sovereign over water because most of it is water. But we, we get that part. But also, in, in the Bible storyline, water plays a super significant role in the showcase of God's power. We see it first in the very beginning. In the act of creation itself, remember the world was without form and it was void and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And it was over and against that watery chaos that God made everything. See, His power over water we see at the very beginning, His sovereignty over water. Then, of course... The prime example of God's power over water is the flood and the judgment that the flood brought. David actually mentions that in verse 10. Also in the Bible, there is the Exodus. When, when Israel crossed the Red Sea fleeing from Egypt, remember God parted the water for the people of Israel to, to pass safely through. And then when the Egyptians tried to follow them, God made the, the water closed back in and it wiped out all of the, the soldiers 
of Pharaoh. And there's no doubt about it in the, the narrative of Exodus there that, that that scene is meant to communicate to us the sovereignty of God over water to use it however he wants because he's that sovereign. So the, the Old Testament paints this picture clearly for us and Psalm 29 repeats it. God is sovereign over all the waters and his voice is like thunder, is full of power, is full of majesty. And there are a couple of things that we see here in these verses in terms of his voice. There's the action of his voice, his word. Then, then there's the response of creation to his word, to his voice. Look at the action in verse five first. This is a storm. Imagine a storm again, except this is a, a super forceful storm, okay? This is not a charming storm because this storm is breaking cedars. Now, cedars back then, like they are today, they were among the, the biggest trees in the forest. And uh, they, made, they made the most reliable lumber and they, they smell good, all right? Um, cedars, you could say, cedars were, were kind of like, are kind of like, a, uh, a braggadocious part of creation, okay? Um, they stand tall, they poke their chest out a little bit, and they're that tree in the room who wears the cologne that everybody notices. Okay, that, that is, that's what a cedar basically is. And the voice of God here breaks them like a twig. Now skip down to verse seven. Fire is flashing forth from the sky, right? This, this is lightning, okay? You gotta imagine this, the, the sounds, the sights of this storm. Then in verse eight, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. So imagine the wilderness. This is all the untamed jungles of this world. This is the, the wide, all the wide open spaces that humans dare to venture. The voice of God makes them tremble. The wind of his word shakes them. And the idea here, like with the cedars, is a message of domination. Yahweh is sovereign over them from Lebanon and Syria, which is, which is north, we should think, north of Jerusalem, all the way down to Kadesh, which is south of Jerusalem. So this is north and south. This is the whole span, the whole thing. Yahweh is sovereign over it all. Now look at their response, okay? The response. Lebanon skips like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Skipping. Now, this is basically a party. <laughs> and maybe you thought oxen didn't like the party. But see, these oxen are young and wild. All right, that's what the text says. And the image is that they, they, they are having a party. The, the image is that beneath all the power of God's voice unleashed upon creation, creation is as giddy as a puppy. The earth does not shrink back in fear here, but the earth dances in the wake of God's majesty and power. And perhaps the reason the earth dances is because the earth knows 
that this power unleashed upon creation through the voice of God is the same power that will one day set creation free from its bondage to decay. Romans 8, 21. The earth rejoices at the sovereign majesty of Yahweh, and so do his people. See this in verse 9. The last line in verse 9. In response to the power of God's voice manifest in creation, in response to the God of glory who thunders, the gathered worshipers of God in his temple all cry, glory. And I love the simplicity of that. There are moments in life, and for us, many more moments to come in life, when the majesty of God is so overwhelming for us that we don't want to be wordy. We're not trying in those moments to fill that space with our own speech because we're just overcome. We're just overcome. I I think about in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, um, after uh, Thomas there in, in chapter 20, after he places his hands on the side of the risen Jesus. Do you remember what he says? After he places his hands on Jesus' side, he says, my Lord and my God. That's all he needed to say. He's overcome. He's overcome. There are times in life when we, we will encounter the glory of God so overwhelmingly that all we can say is glory. Glory. And that's all we need to say. I live for those moments. Right? I, like I long for those moments, not just in the new creation. In hell. I want them now. I long for those moments now. The sovereignty of God's voice in creation, the God of glory who thunders through this world, he does it all for our good. And that's how this psalm ends, okay? This is how Psalm 29 ends. This is number three here, the call for blessing. This is verses 10 and 11. David concludes this song of praise by remembering Yahweh's kingship and then calling for Yahweh's blessing on his people. All right, I think the mention of the flood here in verse 10 is a nice bookend going back to verse 3 when waters are mentioned there. The word flood, this is, this is interesting, the word flood here in Psalm 29, it's... it's It's the exact same word that's only used elsewhere in Genesis 6 to talk about the actual flood, okay? So this affirmed for us what the message of this psalm is, which is what we've seen, that this psalm is indeed about the sovereignty of Yahweh over creation, and therefore, it means that Yahweh is sovereign over every false god that historically has been given unjust credit for certain aspects of creation. This is kind of like a sub-theme, okay? There's a, there's a polemic nature to this psalm. See, in, in that context, the, the Canaanites, they, they thought that their God had the market on thunder. The Egyptians, they thought that their God ruled the waters. But see, Psalm 29 repeats what the Bible has already made clear and continues to make clear, and it's that God reigns over it all. He's king. God is king. Yahweh is king over every aspect of creation. He is king over the flood, and he is king forever 
And we want his blessing, right? We, like we want the blessing of that God. We need that God's blessing. And so that's what David prays for in verse, that's what he prays for in verse 11. He says, may Yahweh give strength to his people. May Yahweh bless his people with peace. Strength and peace. That is the blessing David asked for. Strength is something that you need in wartime. Peace means no wartime at all. And we need Yahweh to give us both strength and peace. Strength and peace. The heart of a lion and the heart rate of a lamb. Strength and peace. That's what we need. That's the blessing we need from God. And that is the blessing we have in Jesus. Now, the final blessing of strength and peace is fulfilled in the Messiah. And David directs our attention there in verse 10 when he mentions kingship. Remember, up to this point in the Psalms, references to Yahweh's kingship have been about the Messiah. The Messiah is Yahweh's king set on Zion, his holy hill, Psalm 2. It's the Messiah's reign that is universal and eternal, Psalm 21. The Messiah is king and Yahweh is king. And, and when we have our New Testament clarity, our New Testament vision, we understand that, yes, that's exactly right, because Jesus the Messiah, who is Yahweh, is the king. Jesus, the Messiah, who is Yahweh, is the king to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus stands forth in this psalm as the king who is enthroned over everything forever. But we've also, we've also heard connections to Jesus before we get to verse 10. And the, these connections have to do with the mention of God's voice. Jesus, we know from John 1, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the voice of God made flesh. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the one through whom are all things and through whom we exist. For through him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world and who also upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Bible shows us very clearly that the existence and the sustenance of everything is through Jesus, the incarnate word of God and the one to whom the inscripturate word of God testifies. So we, we cannot imagine the thundering sovereignty of God's voice without imagining the agency of Jesus. We, 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 the, the thunder that you hear, that I want you to listen for, that thunder that you hear, that, that is thunder created through Jesus. The, the sunrises that we love to see, there is never a sunrise that is not through Jesus. It all is through Jesus. The ultimate sovereign difference maker 
In creation is Jesus who reigns over everything. And as for that blessing of strength and peace, who is there who wed together strength and peace better than Jesus? Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Jesus, who was fierce in his courage, but tender in his sacrifice. Jesus, who was mighty in his victory, but patient in his leading. Jesus, who destroyed the works of the devil, but who rescued his church by his blood. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our peace. And by faith, we have him. By faith, we are united to him and we will never be separated from his love. That is the blessing on all who believe in Jesus. And what I'd like to do here in closing is that I would, I just want to speak that blessing over you. First, if you're hearing this, if you're watching this video and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. Right now, wherever you are, I want to invite you. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus and in his death for you on the cross in your place where he paid for your sins. Put your faith in him. Trust in Jesus and give him praise. We are called to join the chorus of praise in Psalm 29. We are called to praise God for his sovereign word. And as we do, church, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you with strength and peace. May the Lord bless you with the strength and peace of Jesus Christ. May he bless you with strength against the enemy and power over darkness and endurance through the midst of hardship. And may he bless you with peace in the storm, joy that is deeper than the universe, and rest for your souls. Church, may God bless you with the strength and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen.